You're listening to Wake Up Tucson. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, tell them, Frankie. You're on Wake Up Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. Uh, if you missed anything on the show, kvoi.com. We've covered a lot. We're remembering 1988, the year that IBM did a severe, re- drastic reduction of workforce here, and pretty much is the hallmark of the downhill of Tucson's economy over the last 30, 40 years. Uh, we're going to get to Hans von Spakowski in just two seconds, uh, talking about uh, 10 new cases of vote fraud, again, demonstrate imperative of election security. This is his masochistic thing in life is election integrity. So one of the better guys to talk to in the country. We'll get to him in two seconds. Just want to remind you, April 4th is our Arizona Gives Day live remote breakfast at Gap Ministries. You guys have been so amazing supporting them and others. And uh, so live show, Chef John is doing an amazing breakfast. And uh, go to wakeup.gapmin.com to get your tickets. All right, let's go to the phones. Hans A. Von Spakowski. Hans, welcome back to the show. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Although I have to tell you, 1988 was actually a good year for me because that's when I got married. <laughs> Look at you. Which I'm sure it was beautiful for you. I'm just saying for Tucson, that was the beginning. That was the beginning of our economic devolvement. Yeah, that's really too bad. Yeah, well, we, we've had Democrat rule for all those times, and it just... We're one of the liberal petri dishes of the of America, right here, my friend. So that's another story. So your uh, your your masochistic thing in life is to try to shed light and educate on election integrity. Is that a is that an accurate uh, or elections? Is that a, is that an accurate statement, Hans? It, it it is. I mean, that's really important to me, and I think that you you see and read a lot of, uh, frankly. I hate to use the word misinformation since that's what <laughs> the left is constantly using. But you see a lot of propaganda, um, frankly, coming from the radical left about this. And I think it's important to come out with the facts, which is why for years now we've maintained an election fraud database at the Heritage Foundation. It's unique. No, nobody else in the country is doing this. And what it does is it documents proven cases of election fraud from across the country. And by proven, I mean, we, we don't put anything in there where somebody's just making an accusation. We only put a case in there if somebody's been convicted in a court of law of fraud or a court has determined that fraud occurred and, for example, has overturned an election and ordered a new election. We're, we're up to 1,422 cases. Uh, we just added 10 new cases, and I'm in the process of reviewing a dozen more convictions uh, in various states that we're going to add to the database. It's constantly growing. So over, so we know that some states, Florida's one of them, Arizona's has added some, have tried to be tighten up elections through the, um, the legislative process. Right. All right. So are we saying that in the midst of doing all that, the, the, it has the incidence of election fraud skyrocketed over a certain period of time, the last five years, ten years? What would you say? No, I think it's pretty steady. It, it happens all the time. And one of the biggest problems in this area is that, um, look, even in states that have done a lot to improve 
their election security, to make it tougher to commit fraud. Um, the problem in a lot of places is county prosecutors, county DAs who just aren't interested in pursuing these these cases. And um, an organization that I know, uh, I'll give a quick example of this, if I may. Sure. Um, uh, an organization that I know used the uh, state open records laws in Florida to send a request to the 10 biggest counties in Florida after the 2020 election and said, send us information on every criminal referral that your county election officials sent to the local DA where they found evidence that election fraud had occurred. Um, Nine of the 10 counties got back and said, well, we sent 156 cases to local DAs for prosecution so then the organization checked with those DA's offices, checked court records to find out, well, how many of the cases have actually been investigated and prosecuted by the local DA? You care to guess how many uh, were actually followed up by the what, DA? What, what was it? You said 156 cases, Hans? 100, yeah, 156. Um, two. Zero. Ugh! <laughs> I can't believe I overshot it, too. Damn it. Z- zero. And remember, they, they tried to get this info from 10 counties. Nine counties got back to them. The 10th county, Hillsborough County, said, oh, well, we don't, we don't ever make criminal referrals, even when we find that fraud has occurred. By the way, uh, that's the same county that the DA was removed <laughs> by Governor DeSantis last year. <laughs> so... When we, when we see, like, in Arizona, we see these lawsuits, right? That's the other part of this, right? So Carrie Lake right. and Mark Fincham, Abe Hamaday suing in these things. It, it, these, these cases never seem to get any traction in court. Have you ever seen anyone get traction in court in the United States? I've read some in Europe, but I've never seen anyone reverse or redo an election based on a lawsuit. Have you? Oh, yeah. No, no, we have, we have plenty of those in our um, we have plenty of those in our uh, uh, database. Um, a recent one was uh, remember remember the movie uh, Straight Out of Compton. <laughs> one of right? my, mine and uh, Matt's favorites. Yeah, well, uh, last summer a court in Compton overturned a city council election there, ordered a new election because he discovered that. Uh, and by the way. Half a dozen individuals uh, pleaded guilty to engaging election fraud. And the reason that he overturned the election was because a member of the city council, he won his race by one vote. And they discovered, the judge discovered, that half a dozen individuals had registered to vote in Compton, even though they don't live there. And they voted in the election. Several of them actually registered to vote at the home of the city member of the city council and wow. got elected. And that city councilman was one of the people uh, who uh, found guilty of engaging in that kind of fraud. So the election was overturned. That's insane. I mean, that's bold, and, right? They're, they're, they're actually yeah, he, voting at his house. <laughs> <laughs> well, they voted by absentee ballot. And listen, don't forget, in 2018... Uh, we actually had a congressional election overturned in North Carolina, ninth congressional district there. Uh, they overturned an election. The, the margin, the margin of victory was only 900 votes in a congressional race in North Carolina. And the state board of elections actually 
investigated, found massive, widespread absentee ballot fraud uh, and overturned the election. They had to hold a new election. And again, about a half a dozen individuals were charged with engaging in absentee ballot fraud, and they, they were all convicted. Wow. All right, let's do this. Can I? Uh, can you hold on for a commercial break, Hans? Sure. So your yeah. your mental homework assignment when we come back, because after hearing all this, you know about all this election fraud, you know some of our listeners are crawled underneath their kitchen table in the fetal position. So what we want to know from Hans when we come back is what are we? Um, what can we do as a state, you know, municipality to try to mitigate such horribleness? So. Let's do that when we come back with Hans von Spakowski from the Heritage Foundation. 790-2040, I have a quick question for Hans. David Schweikert, hopefully at 837. Wake up. So good to hear Freedom One back in the air. Good job, Matthew. Still a little shaky on that thing. Rest in peace to wonderful actor Topol, who passed away uh, today. I know all of you are going to put up Fiddler on the Roof pictures, but of course, more importantly, Dr. Hans Zarkoff in the Flash Gordon movie in the 80s, so... Just want to let everyone know that. So we're uh, hanging out with Dr. Uh, Hans A. Von Spakowski. Hans, welcome back, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me back. So what should be, let's start on the state level right now. State level, right. what should every state have in place as part of their rules, laws, and regulations of voting to mitigate all these uh, thing, all of these cases of fraud that you guys have been charting over the years? It's a whole series of steps, and um, uh, I'll give you just a few of them, but boy, if you want to know uh, what your state should be doing, uh, the Heritage Foundation has produced an election integrity scorecard that scores every state, and we have 47 different criteria that we use to judge the state. So it's a whole series of things. First of all, obviously, you should require an ID to vote, whether it's in person Racist. or through through absentee ballot. <laughs> yeah, except that the uh, public, the entire public, no matter their race, agrees with that. The yep. polling on this is very clear. Um, you should not allow vote trafficking. And the left likes to call it vote harvesting because that sounds good. But vote trafficking is when you allow <laughs> complete strangers to pick up folks absentee ballots at their homes and offer to deliver them. Well, the problem with that is that uh, you don't know whether uh, they will change your ballot. Perhaps they'll discard it. Uh, the, the 2018 case in North Carolina, that's what they were doing. They were picking up the absentee ballots and then changing them. Um, plus, it puts you know party activists and others in a position to coerce and pressure the voters in their homes, something they can't do in a polling place. Um, the, the biggest thing is making sure you've got accurate voter rolls so that you don't have people, for example, who uh, live in, used to live in Arizona but moved to California, got registered there, and, and remain registered in both states and vote in both states. And for folks who think that doesn't happen, in fact, several of the cases that we just added to our database uh, at the Heritage Foundation are, in fact, individuals who were registered in two different states um, and took advantage of that by voting twice uh, in, in the election. Like I said, it's a, there's a whole series of things like that that need to be done. Look, one of the most obvious things, and this is, doesn't take legislation, this just takes election officials doing a better job is, look, most county election officials, when they get a voter registration, they just take the data and it 
put it in the computer and boom, they mail out a voter card. Well, they shouldn't be doing it that that quickly, that easily. Um, they should be checking, for example, with the county tax department. Uh, look, what Chris, you and I both know, what's the biggest priority of county governments all over the country? It's collecting property taxes, right? Correct. That's, that's how they that's how they fund everything. What that means is is that the is that the county tax department they know every piece of property in a county. They know what it is. They know whether it's residential, industrial. They know what kind of building is on it. So when a county election officials get in a voter registration, they should check the address the voter claims they live at with the county tax department. Because if the county tax department comes back and says, "Well, that's not a residential property. That's a that's an industrial property. It's a factory. Then they immediately know uh, there's a potential problem with this. They need to investigate it. Or let's say the county tax department comes back and says, no, no, it's a residential property. Uh, it's a single-family home. Well, the next step of the county election official should be to check, well, how many people are already registered at that single-family home? Amen. Because... Because if there are 100 people registered at a single-family home, uh, there's clearly fraud going on. And for anybody, again, who thinks that kind of thing doesn't happen, um, we had an event recently at Heritage with Senator Paul Betancourt. He's a Texas senator, former uh, county election official in Houston, and he said that at one point they found a single-family home that had almost 600 people registered to vote there. And in the in, in one of the elections, 170 of them cast ballots. Now, that was clearly fraud. Yep. The, uh, I'm looking at the, the, the scorecard right now. Uh, you just, just Google Heritage Foundation Election Integrity Scorecard. It pops right up. Arizona uh, scored a 64 out of 100 points, which makes it tied for 20th with the granite state of New Hampshire. Yeah. So, yeah no, no state in the country scored 100. The best state in the country scored in the low 80s, which means that they're better, but they still haven't done everything they ought to be doing. Because, you know, we kept on hearing with Florida, right, that they ch- they, they, they changed uh, some stuff over the last couple of years, and, like, they can get all their voting tabulation done in one counting in one night, and Arizona takes, you know, 20 days. They have made. They made. They were so embarrassed. Florida was so embarrassed, but why? By what happened in the 2000 election that they actually made a tremendous improvements in their elections. Um, again, they're not. They're still not perfect, but they're now one of the top states in the country in, in terms of how they run their elections. Yeah, they're number six with a score of 78. Tennessee is the highest at 84. Matt has a quick question from a listener, and then I know we're going to run sure. out of time. So what's your question, Matthew? There's just, uh, how can you tell with renters, should the county follow up with, with the landlord? That was the nature of the question. Gotcha. Well, look, if a renter is uh, living at a property and then that's their residence, well, then they're, they're entitled to vote there. Uh, there, there's nothing that prevents the renter from registering and voting at that address. The problem is, is if you check somebody, and these are literal cases, you know, if somebody is registered to vote and they claim their, um, their home is a basketball court in a park, then you know there's a potential problem there. Gotcha. Well, Hans, great job as always. We could talk for another, you know, two hours on this, but we won't. But great job. I love what you guys do, and uh, 
we'll we'll have to keep up the conversation over time, okay? Sure, happy to do it anytime. Thank you, my friend. Have a good day. Goodbye. That's Hans A. von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation. Always good. And uh, we've been talking to Hans for years. I will, if you want a copy, I can send it to you. Wake up Tucson comments at gmail.com. I'll put it up on Facebook. It's the scorecard for election integrity for all 50 states. So, 1988, where City of Tucson flubbed the whole IBM growth and where Tucson's anti-business tendencies started to grow. The dark side is strong with these ones. Wake up, Tucson. 10-third of the voice, local news and talk. All right. We're remembering 1988 today with the music, the year that uh, Tucson flubbed the IBM uh, project and a severe drastic reduction of employment here. Uh, Literally was the tipping point of Tucson's economic demise over the last three decades. And... uh, there's no sign of stopping, as they say. Well, I appreciate uh, uh, our good friend David Schweikert calling uh, here. David, good morning, sir. Good morning. I, forgive me if the are the acoustics really bad. I'm in a small booth behind the Ways and Means room. I've heard worse from you, so this is not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, I want to torture you a little bit because I love you so much. Um, this is. Well, you only hurt the one you love. <laughs> Um, Joe Biden's op-ed in the New York Times of his expa- his uh, plan to extend Medicare for another generation. Yeah. Um, okay. You first understand the the, the first part of the boldface lie. The trust fund is only twenty five percent or so of Medicare spending. It's the part A. The other parts come directly out of the general fund. Um, so, okay, you're going to you're you're going to basically add another five percent on capital gains. You're going to do all these other unrealized. It, the funny one is how are you going to tax, tax unrealized capital gains? Um, are you going to tax unrealized capital losses? I mean, it, the the, it, it's right. the Democrat mantra: of, we hate the rich, we're going to tax them. Let's say we agree. Okay, go ahead and do it. Um, You only covered a tiny bit of the debt problem. The other three quarters of Medicare spending that come out of the general fund, you you didn't change any revenue stream for that. And then in nine years, the Social Security Trust Fund is gone. Oh, and by the way, also is the Transportation Trust Fund gone. So I, I want to pass a couple of statements from this piece past you, which was, of course, written by flunkies and put Joe's name on it. Um, let me ask you the, the, the truthfulness of these statements. The ACA embraced smart reforms to make the health care system more efficient while improving Medicare coverage for seniors. What do you think of that statement? Simple math. Did, did health care um, inflation go back to, remember, we were promised it was with all these things the ACA was going to do, it was going to move healthcare inflation to the mean of all other inflation. Instead, it runs at more than double. Correct. Over the last decade, more than double. All right. Look, look, it's basic proof. It it didn't do any of the things it promised. All right, so there's uh, five Pinocchios there. Uh, The Inflation Reduction Act ended the absurd... 
ban on Medicare negotiating lower drug prices, requiring drug companies to pay rebates to Medicare if they increase prices faster than inflation and cap seniors' total prescription costs, saving seniors thousands of dollars a year. This negotiation, combined with the law's rebates, will reduce the deficit by $159 billion. Over 10 years is their claim. And so far, it's not working. Um, remember, the, um, the function of the price capping that the Democrats are trying to do is on a very limited number of drugs. And so even this morning, which should just enrage all of us, Republican and Democrat, is what you see is the the natural outcome. Um, Many of the drug manufacturers or pharmaceutical manufacturers have been just shifting their price structures. So they're now raising the price of their new entries because their existing entries are the ones that get the price negotiation. They've just shifted Next. Um, so the total spend may now actually have gone up and not come down. Next one. Um, significant slowdown in growth of healthcare spending since the ACA was passed. In the decade after the ACA, Medicare spent $1 trillion less than the nonpartisan CBO projected before ACA reforms were in place. Yeah, um, that's new to me. <laughs> That's absolutely new to me. And, 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 and do understand, there's some really weird distortions in our Medicare spend numbers. Um, during the pandemic, we had so many Medicare recipients who actually postponed healthcare treatments for a year, two years. Sure. And now all of a sudden, they're coming in, and they're coming in thicker. So um, if you actually look at one of my graphs, there's this weird flat flattening out, and now all of a sudden there's this pop. And Democrats were trying to take credit of that flattening out, but part of that flattening out was people couldn't get appointments. Or there you was know, um, so many medical facilities said, you know, you need to stay at home. You know, your cancer's not growing that fast. <laughs> so, like here in Arizona, when um, when Ducey uh, said we're not going to do elective surgeries. There were so many people not who just decided that, to delay their health care. They thought they couldn't get yeah. it or whatever, right? Sure. But, but those numbers were big enough that we actually see it as a distortion. So it isn't even ethical for a budget person to try to take credit saying, look, I lowered the price. No, what you did is you postponed it. Correct. You postponed the spending. You, 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 it's a timing effect. And then this one, uh, this is my last one I'm going to torture you with. Uh, in 09, before the ACA, uh, it was projected that the Medicare trust fund would be exhausted in 2017. Their later uh, latest projection is 2028, but we should do better that and extend it beyond 2050. So when you hear the fact that because of this wonderfulness, that's what changed the, the trust fund from being exhausted in 17 to 2028. Yeah, but did you take credit for the 3.8% um, tax surcharge? that was done 10 years ago that was the funding mechanism for that extension. So, you know, we just raised taxes. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, and, and now, and now we're going to take that up even higher. Um, it, it, it's, it's back to the fundamental discussion. The Democrats want to subsidize things. And, uh, on, at least for myself, I want to disrupt the price. We will, because there's no way we can generate ever enough 
tax revenues. We can take the wealth of every really rich person and it still does not cover these shortfalls. They're, these shortfalls are stunning in their size. You need a disruption in the actual cost. But because of unionized nurses, unionized this, unionized that, uh, you'll have conversations and they're just terrified to say, we're going to inject technology and competition into these medical services. So what's the makeup of ways and means right now in relation to, I know, you know, we've had more moderate Democrats being replaced by harder left Democrats. How is that, uh, are, the, are the harder left Democrats infiltrating ways and means and if they are, can we get it? Can you guys do some good work? What, what's what's the what's your view um, there? That's actually that's actually a brilliant and a little more complex question than you might know. Um, the last century, Ways and Means was a committee because it has such huge jurisdiction, and you can't make mistakes. I mean, it, it, and honestly, if you made major mistakes, you bankrupt the country. Well, you pretty much bankrupt already. Um, but you blow up trade, you blow up healthcare, you blow up, it's just, it's, it's responsibilities are just massive. So there's been this tradition of, you might have people that are very ideological, but they were serious, you know, that, and what's happened the last couple cycles, particularly on the Democrat side, is you're getting more and more sort of theatrical players instead of thinkers. Right. You can sort of see it in some of the opening statements now. There's these folks who are very, they, it may be, they may be very left or even, um, you know, but, but, but they're serious about the policy, serious about, there's others who just say crazy ass things that have no basis in, in, in fact, and, and that's making the job more difficult. I was watching a little bit of the COVID origins hearing yesterday, and uh, Mr. Ruiz, uh, one of the Democrats, Used used uh-huh. used his five minutes to rant about how David Duke, the KKK guy, liked one of the people on the panel, Mr. Wade's book, so much, and that was somehow David Duke liking your book. He spent five minutes to get this guy to be discredited. And I'm sitting there going, "What are we, what are we doing here? What what are we doing?" And I I bet you there was a fundraising email. <laughs> That went That's out right. to left-wing contributors a couple <laughs> minutes after that. And there you just saw the problem of what's going on here is the, the, the public hearings have become um, uh, theater time for your five minutes on, you know, um, uh, the email. Uh, and my last one, I know I want to get, get you back to your stuff. Um, but, we're, you know, we're a border state. We're, we're getting blown up. Tucson's getting annihilated with fentanyl right now. And I'm sure the whole state's. So the president's press secretary, quote, when uh, asked by one of the few people who ask a question over there, Peter Ducey, about uh, what's going on with fentanyl, quote, because of this work of this president has done, because of what we've done specifically on fentanyl, it's at historic lows. What's the, what, what's the purpose of this? Are they just trying to screw with us? I mean, is no, 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 no I mean, no, no, it's no, not no, that no, she's. You and I have been around on this over and over and over. Um, news consumption is so bifurcated anymore. Yeah, you know, the left listens to their folks, the right listens to their folks. And they don't care about us. We don't exist to them. Um, they're just talking to their own folks. And I bet you, if you went out um, after that and talk to your neighborhood CNN, MSNBC, listener, Washington Post reader, they believe it. 
crazy. Where what 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 are you in the middle of right now? What uh, hearing are you in the middle of? Um, we're actually trying to mark up a piece of legislation that makes it clear, even though we already have a GAO report that Treasury has the authority to prioritize, they just have some technical difficulties because the data systems have never been updated, even though we've always known this was going to come. So it becomes this interesting kabuki debate of. Um, do you want to provide um, mechanisms so you're protecting full faith and credit, making the markets actually understand we will always, always prioritize paying back our bonds, so therefore our bonds don't get more expensive and interest rates explode around here in the, the world. But for Democrats, they don't want any restraints on their spending. So they just want us. They we don't want to give you a prioritization bill because then there might be parts of their spending that go down in priority. And then I lied. My last question is: Where are we at in relation to debt limits and all that goofiness? That's what's going on in that this hearing. We're first trying to see if we could move a prioritization confirmation bill. We already believe it's the law, the authority, but telling Treasury saying, look. You, you always pay back the bonds, so you don't screw up U.S. credit. And then you pay back Social Security and Medicare recipients, and then you pay the troops. And you start to actually lay out. And then things that are, are much less a priority of society, they get paid last or, or don't get paid at all if there's no um, you know, money to borrow. Gotcha. And if this bill does authorize some borrowing if there's a timing effect problem where you have tax receipts coming in, but they don't come in until the middle of the month, but I'm going to send out my Social Security checks in the beginning of the month. So it sort of smooths out the timing effect problem. That was one of the arguments that Janet Yellen was making. David Schweikert, we appreciate the time. You can get out of the cloakroom now and head back to your meeting. I appreciate yeah. you calling back, yeah, though. Well, yep, back to go, you know, engage in the battle. All, All right. right, goodbye now. Have a good day, my friend. All right, 8.48 in the morning. You're on Wake Up Tucson. Uh, a couple things I got to get off the old tabbage, and one I should have ran out of time yesterday. It's uh, it's the Orange Grove Middle School in Cat Foothills here in beloved Tucson area. Made a little national news on preferred pronouns and not telling parents. And Hiding things from parents. Shocking. You're on Wake Up Tucson. Again, elections have consequences. Wake up, Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. Wild West. 8.53 in the morning. You're on Wake Up, Tucson, 1030 The Voice, local news and talk. See, Schweikert's the best guy to have that conversation. I mean, I mean that's, that's, Joe, that's Joe Biden's flunkies walking into the Schweikert trap right there. Right? Well, and, and then Biden or KJP, his spokesperson, just says, oh, well, if you don't like it, I want to see your plan. That's how they – that's the game. that They just throw out garbage that can get – in like one sentence, uh, David annihilated their argument. Yeah, that's – well, let's get to Tucson national news. Uh, the principal Mark Ruben Tolls – Ruben Tolls, he is a, he's a hyphen – Okay. You don't tolls nobody. Not bad. Not good either, but not bad. Didn't uh, say it was good. <laughs> uh, Mark Rubin tolls of Orange Grove Middle School. That's that one right there where uh, Orange Grove meets Skyline, right over in that area. Sure. And the Cat Foothills uh, reminded teachers. Um, let's see. 
uh, provided teachers and staff with a list of students' preferred pronouns. Also specifically hiding, highlighting those that were not allowed to be shared with their parents. Email subject line reads, confidential, list of students with student pronouns and preferred names different than in synergy. My brain hurts. Yep. Uh, the principal, Mark Rubin Tolls, I'll keep saying his name over and over again, Mark Rubin Tolls, reminded teachers that some information can't be shared to the families. Writing, quote, teachers and staff, if you're like me, you may have been challenged recently to keep some of our kids' pronouns and preferred names straight and to remember what can and can't be shared with families. The email goes on to state, please be very careful. Students in red are not comfortable with sharing information with their parents and guardians. This can be cognitively challenging. <laughs> <laughs> it's our responsibility to protect student privacy in these matters. I watch too much British stuff. We say privacy. Oh, don't even hit the South Park privacy right now. Now. <laughs> I can if you need. <laughs> Meanwhile, Julie Farbaric, Far Farbaric. The director of alumni, she's got a she's got a diverse job. Director of alumni and community relations for Cat Foothill School District provided a statement uh, saying that the state uh, the email does not represent district practices. "Quote: This has never never been our practice in the district. We respect any student's preference on how they're addressed in school, be it nickname or pronoun request. However, as students are informed." If a parent were to inquire, our staff do not keep this information from parents. Furthermore, we encourage students to discuss these matters with their parents. She did authenticate the, fee the email, saying, yes, the email with that subject line is authentic. It does not conform to our district's practice. The list should have not been created and it no longer exists. Unquote. Wink, wink. Yeah, wink, wink. Um, meanwhile, Nicole Solas, who obtained the email, stated the school is being coy while admitting, quote, they keep secrets from parents until the parents ask if there are any secrets. Let's get Lawrence on the line real quick. Lawrence, we got about two minutes or, or less. So what's up, my friend? Everybody who works in public education forgets that they don't work for themselves or the people at 1010. They work for the district, and the district is made up of parents. You work for the parents. You don't work for some other authority. I'm tired of these people keeping things from parents. As a parent, I would lose my mind and rake them over the coals. You've got to be kidding me. They forget. You work for the parents. And when I have parent-teacher conferences, I tell the parents, you know, we will, people are forgetting we work for you guys, the public, the people that pay our taxes and elect our people to the school board. Uh, it, it makes me sick as a teacher to hear that nonsense. What's going on? Well, uh, what's going on in TUSD with preferred pronouns? So oh, I don't know. I call everybody by their first name. So I'm not going to be playing that game. Uh, don't insult my intelligence by telling me to use a pronoun inappropriately i went to school to become educated and to learn how to speak like a professional and speak like educa an educated person i'm not going to sit there and sound like a fool amen you know 
Hey, uh, real quick. Yeah. So on Thursday, uh, Dr. Trujillo is making his triumphant return on the uh, on the show. So uh, if anyone has any questions, I've already gotten two emails from TUSD teachers who have questions for that one I'm going to ask Dr. Trujillo. So um, I'll, I'll send you mine. Okay. I don't want to share it publicly. I agree. All right. You have a great day. You too, my friend. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, tomorrow, very, very fun show. Uh, we have... Fatima from Inca's Peruvian, Mark Van Buren, Top 10 Movies, then uh, Vito, Vito, and Vito from Vero's will be here doing St. Joseph Pastries. It's going to be quite a hoot uh, on tomorrow's show. So, Matt, thanks for a nice time. Wakey, Have a great day. Wakey's, thanks for all that you do. Thanks to Hans and David for nice conversations. And call sign.